daughter. How's it going, Mike? Uh, very good. Probably similar to you, my friend, that we're looking at the first few inches of uh, snow in upstate New York. Yeah. And it's been strange because last week was 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 balmy. Yeah, yeah. It was warm. And in fact, because of my mother's death, we're backed up on a few things he wanted to do in the garden. Like right before I came in, I, I was spreading compost in, in the hoop house because we grow spinach and kale and stuff in, in the hoop yeah. house for winter. And I'm, we were going to do it earlier, but it was too warm and it would have bolted. Yeah. And then... And I also didn't get the garlic in. And I, you know, I, when I after my mother's funeral, I went to Washington D.C. for a few days. I came back and it was winter again. Uh huh. So, How much snow do you have? Buffalo has three or four feet right now. I think that's what I heard. Not um, maybe an inch right now. Okay, we're but about it, an inch or two. It, it rains or it snows every day and it kind of melts away. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But here we go, and it's 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 a magical time of the year, as we know. As we as the the forces of nature draw inward into the earth again. And what better time to talk about fairies? And here we are. We're, we're, today, our guest is James Tunney. James, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. Um, it's great to see you, uh, Michael and Mike. And uh, I was thinking about your mother, listening to the some of your podcasts. I'm very interested in, in your work. And I've, in particular, because I noticed some of the threads emerging in your discourse is very similar. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think so. You're a real fit. That's what actually, that's how I, you came to my attention. A friend of mine contacted me. So you gotta, you gotta check out this guy <laughs> because uh, I know it now James, you know, he's the, he's uh, not, not practicing barrister, correct? Not, no, no longer practicing, but a former lawyer. And no, uh, yeah. An academic, right? And and you turned. I don't know yeah, how so, many years uh, ago. I, I qualified as a barrister. Yeah, I qualified yeah. as a barrister and went on to the master's degree. Then uh, I went into teaching, uh, but I went off to Spain for a few years. But my main career was a, as a lecturer and a senior lecturer in law, and yeah. I worked as an international legal consultant yeah. for international bodies as well, and a lot of contracts and um, uh, and in other universities. So that was my main career. And then I decided uh, at the time when we were starting a family that that was enough of the academic world. And I was going to paint and write and look after the kids. So nice. that's, that's what I've good. done. Uh, You've been able to pull it off. So many people want to do that, James, but they just don't think they could ever pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, time will tell whether I have done that or not. But well, it I, seems I was, like you've done a great job. Yeah, very yeah. glad to, to do that. Let yeah, me ask okay. you, James, when you, when you said, I'm just curious, you said you had listened to some of these podcasts and some themes. I think Michael and I would both be interested to hear from an outsider, like first take, what would you say are some of those themes? I'm not so sure I would even be able to name them so well. Um, well, some of the, I, I've come to key kind of nodal thinkers in, in my analysis and they come up again and they become more important. And it's, it's as we know, it's like a spiral. Sometimes their importance only becomes evident when circumstances change. So, for example, William Blake is an important mm. aspect. And the idea of Jesus's imagination, of course, mm. is, is a critical a critical one, the idea of what the imagination is. Uh, Ivan Illich is one that I've had to look back to recently. Represent, yeah. <laughs> I've had to look back to, and, and sometimes you don't pay attention. You, you look through and say, okay. And, and then some bits you begin to see how they how they join together, particularly uh, 
in his, his focus on technology, conviviality, and the relationship as well between the church and the institution and where it may have gone wrong from his perspective. Yeah. I think it was a profound analysis. Yeah. Uh, I hear in your uh, discussion uh, a, a discussion about the nature, uh, as, as, as a listener, the nature of Catholicism uh, as an undercurrent and the uh, how perhaps religious experience can be revivified and also that ties in with the connection between i'm not going to say paganism but ancient traditions and uh, uh, religious belief yeah. and also i get the sense of that that you're talking about a lived belief as opposed to something which is doctrinal and stale so that's and also an undercurrent of ian mcgilchrist left left brain right brain and uh, obviously in that inherent in that is a critique of the uh, a critique of uh, undue left brain uh, death uh, and ossification and crystallization at the expense of the fluid right brain um, and a, a few other themes like that. Yeah. that, 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 that it's, like a, it's like a genius snapshot. <laughs> I feel totally naked and exposed. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it's, a compliment. it's a compliment to your range. Also, uh, I, I was surprised as well to hear Berjaev and the Russian thinkers mm, yeah. uh, mentioned because when I began to look at the, my own critique of technology and come back to personalism, uh, I found myself going back to, 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 to Russia not not in the depth that uh, Michael has, has gone, but Berjaev is a kind of hinged thinker, and uh, Dostoevsky um, in particular uh, at the yeah. period uh, in early eighteen sixties is critical because my my critique uh, more and more has come to the idea, um, and there's probably an es eschatological element of your your debate as well. Um, uh, I'm trying to locate a, a a changing point and and. I'm more and more convinced that there was two centuries that were critical. Uh, the first one was associated with uh, Swedenborg, which uh, yeah. he, although he 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 posited the date of 1757. If we take the Seven Years' War and start from 1763, we get a good starting point. And he anticipated. He, of course, is the is Blake's mentor in, in, right. in many ways, and he is the representative of the idea that the Christian church is becoming a, a, an internal church. Uh, the idea, and I think that the idea of Jerusalem, etc., is an idea of an internal spiritual experience as opposed to the external that gives that gives way to um, to Blake. And that for a hundred, so the Seven Years' War is critical in the rise of the British Empire because they are the ones that emerge with control of sea power, which is critical. And uh, that that period continues till 1863, and and I would put that as the basis of the modern world, because there, uh, around that period, we have the, uh, the the growth of the telecommunications network based on the sea routes that the British mm -hmm. Empire right. had laid out, and the growth of the postal service, the International Telecommunications Union, in, in a planned systematic way. Of course, the civil war in the United States. And uh, so 1863 to 1963 was the modern period, in my view, uh, in the terms in which it was meant by the people that were going to control it. So that 1863 is often associated with the rise of modern arts. Uh, there's a whole range of, of, of periods. And I also have a, have a kind of belief 
to tie into your uh, some of the eschatological uh-huh. debate discussion to look at it in a kind of spiritual history. That remember the Pope Leo's vision of the the the, the, the devil and, and God. I do. Struggle yeah. Church yeah. for hundred years. Uh, the assumption is that that this was sometime in the future. I, I uh-huh. think I think it was referring to a period that had begun. Yeah. And tying in with. La Salette and, and some of La Salette. Holy cow. You know, I've read, I think I've, I've always thought I've read more on La Salette than anybody else in the English language. I've read every, I've certainly read everything in English on it. I don't read French, but yeah. 1846. I'm interested, in, yeah. I'm interested in this debates now. So, so, you know, better than I do, but in, in, in my uh, little investigations into it, there's, the, there's debates about prophecies uh, and the validity of prophecies and, the anticipation of what's going to happen with the church. And if you time the kind of antichrist elements to 1863, you begin to get a picture that uh, speaks to a harmonious critique of the rise of technology as the the antichrist force, right. which mm-hmm. ties in with Steiner. Yeah, absolutely. So Steiner's analysis, the Aramanic thing. So when Steiner locates the fall of evil spirits to 1879 he may have been tying in with the with, with leo on that but it wasn't the start of, of of the the period and the key the other key element of that 1863 1864 was when thomas henry huxley set up the x club and the function of the x club was to take this spirit out of scientific discourse right and and that that, that was so so i've heard that's the other point i've heard you debate correctly this idea that barfield and um, Steiner had about the, the fourth Council of Constantinople in yeah. 869 uh, and the idea that there the spirit was abolished. And I don't, I, I've looked at that as well and, and I couldn't re- I agree with you. It's difficult to find that, that particular analysis or, or to support that. I don't think it was there. I think it was a lot more recent. I think yeah. it was deliberate scientific policy. And that also ties into the idea of progressivism is associated in particular with, uh, with with kind of liberal communism but progressivism really is associated with modern scientism uh, so i see both uh, critique of capitalism and of communism yeah. as based on the same source uh, and, and this and, and this touches on one your one of your favorite topics even favorite is probably the wrong word but most vital topics in your your work and in mine too is transhumanism right yes and, and, and we're, li- have, and we're uh, living in that moment right now yeah, and you have you have uh, you were onto that early on, as far as uh, as I can see. Uh, and the problem is that uh, people, uh, I hear people believing now with, with the end of the recent or the supposed end of the recent uh, uh, health crisis, that the emergency, uh, COVID, and all that kind of stuff. They believe that they've kind of won some way, that they've seen through it all, and they, but but they don't they don't realize what game they're in if. If we trace it to 1963, bearing in mind that Churchill and that's talking about the empire of the mind in 1943, uh-huh. uh, and if, if we look as well, Philip K. Dick's visions, for example, of, of, of that's that, that was the turning point for him, yeah, uh, and also him going back to the to the, to the Saint Columbus in California in 1963. Uh, the it was a lot of these arguments were over then. It wasn't starting; it was over. A lot of the the the, the, the fix was in it, it, and then it was concentration on on the the technique, as a law would say, of of mind control, and and that's been very wow. successful. So people are so far behind that, that that's the great difficulty yeah. in convincing people. 
so transhumanism yeah and you were your instincts on that well i think both your instincts are very good in relation to where the uh, the problem is and where the solution is going to come from yeah i started wow. Break, wow. i started talking about transhumanism 20 years ago with students yeah <laughs> and they right. thought i was insane yeah they, they thought i was exaggerating and, and and it is insane but people don't understand what's yeah insane it's really insane yeah with. they don't yeah. And, and perhaps the sooner they begin to to focus on that uh that, that might open up something and, in, I, in... and i think uh it's so in a way so in my work when sociology i've been kind of positioning it as the the anti-transhumanism it's it's the exact opposite of transhumanism and part of what comes in with that is um, this uh, inattentiveness to the natural world, right? Uh, I mean, a deep attentiveness. And uh, one person I think had this kind of deep attentiveness to the natural, uh, deep attentiveness to the natural world was uh, George William Russell, A.E. Yes. Irish poet. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and which brings us to our topic today of the the secret commonwealth now i'll, I'll preface this with a story and i have a more more than one story but th this is my one probably my favorite of the stories about about the invisible kingdom so my daughter is now 20 almost 26 and so she was probably three years old and we had a house in the suburbs of detroit and i was at school teaching my wife was home with with the with the kids, and she was out in the backyard raking leaves, with May, my daughter, there. And May, May said, "Stop." Those people, and she pointed at the ground where, where the rake was, and she wouldn't let my wife rake anymore because she saw those people there. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that that didn't surprise us, you know, it didn't surprise us, and, and we didn't uh, dismiss her as being just a fanciful child because she had we, we grew up in a house where she grew up in a house with no television she didn't know about mm. <laughs> about walt disney or anything mm. you know so this is a, an uh, organic um uh, mystical experience for her right and i'll and, validate that for our listeners just uh at least my oldest daughter exactly the same thing no tv when they were young playing outside building houses and just talking to some entities you know and, um, and all I felt called to do, I felt I was in the presence of the holy, you know, and I just kind of gave her that space. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's it for me. But it's just uh, as a parent, we see those things. If we allow our kids, you know. And I think as James pointed out, right, through the, from the middle of the 19th century onward, that was, there was a there was kind of a dual thing going on where on the scientific side, they were trying to destroy that that intuition about the world and on the other hand you had the brothers Grimm going around collecting fairy tales william butler yates did the same thing and and then you also had the occult revival of the late 19th century and into the early 20th century where and the celtic the, the celtic uh, twilight movement too right so there was there was you can see this this push and pull that was going on at that time in history and uh you would think that over time the scientists have the scientism has won but it hasn't which is why we're speaking today <laughs> it sure feels like it has but go yeah. ahead yeah. well done <laughs> i don't know <clears throat> yeah well so, so, 
Sorry. So no. So so I wonder what you could say about that, James. Um, if if we forget the fairies and tread upon their rings, uh, God will perchance forget us and think of other things. Mm. That, that was a line from uh, Patrick McGill, who wrote in 1916, an, an Irish uh, writer. And there's something in there because uh, the reason why William Butler Yeats became interested in what people termed the occult, but it was much wider than that, was because he said he wasn't allowed to believe in God anymore because he perceived that this was a threat to his belief in the divine. And that's why he got particularly interested as far as I can see. And this is the exact same uh, motivation that uh, drove Reverend Kirk to write uh, or, or to, to, to articulate the secret Commonwealth because of this rise of uh, atheism and scoffers uh, uh, as they call them. So they weren't talking about people that uh, just come to a genuine belief about there being no God or they couldn't be convinced. They were talking about a deeper uh, a view that wanted to destroy any alternative belief, an ideological uh, belief. And there's also the other word, which which I think is has cast a spell over people, uh, is uh, agnosticism and the, the, the idea of being agnostic. So this word, of course, is Thomas Huxley, comes from Thomas Henry Huxley. So you have to be careful with that. Bear in mind, he's ideological. So people say, well, I'm agnostic, and they equate agnosticism with some kind of neutral object objectivity, uh, just waiting for the evidence. But that's not what uh, agnosticism is, as defined by Huxley. He said that uh, agnosticism meant that you couldn't believe in anything until it was scientifically proven, which, of course, would take out love and nearly everything. <laughs> because a lot of things can't be scientifically proven. Of course, him and his friends would decide what that truth was. So uh, agnosticism uh, and atheism was often the, the, the reason why people began to realize that there was, something, there was something to be looked at and there was something important. In particular as well in Ireland, remember that the, uh, when we're talking about Russell uh, and Yeats, they're coming from uh, a, a, a Protestant background. So they were accessing a culture that wasn't available to them in many senses because they didn't speak Irish. And this, this is a, a key factor in understanding the whole dynamic, because when we, we talk about English literature, or even I heard uh, a bit of your, your talk for Robert Powell on uh, astrology. Mm -hmm. uh, you won't find much about Irish astrology in any of the books because it wasn't accessible to the writers in English, they would therefore look to sources that were available in the English language. But if, if you think about in simple terms, that not only could the monks navigate their way by the stars from Ireland and probably come to America, uh, but they were the ones that defended a, a robust view about the calculation of the date of Easter. So to not understand that they, they understood intensely about the stars and that nearly every Irish saint was connected in some way with some uh, movements in the heavens, like Bridget, et cetera, was, was, was linked to that. So the, uh, the point that you make uh, is important. The, the God comes into nearly all that are the divine sense, uh, not to, to take too narrow of a view, the idea of a higher consciousness, the idea that these beings in some way reflect uh, a higher consciousness or reflect our, abil our abilities to perceive them. Now, the, the word in 
in Irish for the or, or the Gaelic or the Gaelic language for for the fairies is the she. Or she. The, How is that spelled, James? Uh, it's, there's a number of different spellings. It could be S with I and, and a, an accent on it, or S I D H E, or okay. in Scottish terms S I T H, which gives you some of the characters. Yeah, the Sith or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, and S I D H E is a common Irish spelling. But then and and the, the the suggestions if you if you tie it in with the Scots Gaelic is you're getting a a Sitha with with a kind of T H sound at the end. So then you get into something which is equivalent to the city. So the city in the Indo-European, in the, in the yogic tradition, the city mm -hmm. being the, the fruits of the spirit that you attain through yoga practice, through attempted union with, with the divine. So I, I think the root actually, the, 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 the she or the city refers to the mounds where, where, where the, the fairy forts were. That's one okay. meaning, the, the rings that, that Patrick McGill talked about. Uh, it refers in another sense to the wind. There's a connection with the wind, which is obviously breath. And, uh, and, uh, but I, I think there's a deeper connection going back to the fact that Ireland was closer to, in the, in, to Sanskrit and, uh, and things and other European languages with a more direct uh, route to it. So I, I think, I think the, the, the she was referring as well as a reflection to the ability of the people to perceive them. So it was referring, as we see in Scotland, as... Uh, as uh, Reverend Kirk talks about, uh, we're talking about usually people with, with second sight or some some ability to perceive them. So right. it wasn't available to everybody to to perceive these creatures. So uh, the there may be a more reflexive relationship between the idea of the objects out there and the objects uh, in, in our in our consciousness. Um, yeah. The, so uh, you. Do you think there's anything when we talk about perception, you know, that's also a big kind of theme. And for our viewers on YouTube, you'll see that Mike seems to have uh, his computer might have failed temporarily. We're sure we'll see him back. <clears throat> but on perception, James, you know, you had mentioned Rudolf Steiner. The show isn't based on him. But do you think there's anything to this notion that, you know, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny? Michael and I both mentioned that our children, when young, seem to have these perceptual abilities and that we kind of... Um, at least my daughter and I presume if Michael was still on, he'd be able to say his child who saw them, you know, all of a sudden we, we lose that. Steiner would have made a connection uh, at the, uh, um, you know, at the, the human level that in times past we had greater perceptual abilities. Now we've kind of lost them. And he puts that within a tapestry that says, you know, it was necessary that this should happen. Um, but on the other hand, it seems to me there's things we can do. Uh, we were talking about, a certain view of church, which is just dogma, you know, sin and moral codes versus waking up or raising perception. How do you put two of those, you know, I believe we can be working at waking up our perception uh, and changing, quote unquote, the musical register of the church to one of kind of sleep and waking up. Uh, at the same time, is, is there something the way you see it, James, about kind of evolution of consciousness in that Steinerian sense about our ability to perceive? Uh, oh yes, definitely. Uh, we're we're in a period of uh, regression of okay. evolution. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have any doubt about that, that. That the objective is for us to go back in the evolutionary chain in spiritual consciousness terms. And uh, what I've been working on more recently is explaining what the controller's idea of 
is, because I believe their objective is to turn us into plants. Now that sounds strange. Right. I believe that 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 this is what the uh, the objective is, and that's that's what the nearly eight hundred pages has been trying to uh, explain. <laughs> but the the first thing to say is that personally, I believe that the range of, of of beings that come within the uh, what people call folklore now i don't i don't like the word folklore because there's an implication that it's merely a practice of of storytelling and mm -hmm. and that that it's not uh, it's not evidence in any way and I, and I don't believe that to be true another factor associated with this and it ties in uh, of course i should have mentioned self theology in the description or encapsulation of, of what work you've been doing I'm very uh, conscious of that but as you know, there's a lot of work about the nature of the alphabet and the belief sure. a lot of people believe there's been a shift, as you know, you know, that goes to the left brain with the alphabet and everything. Yeah, yeah. And the shift from the masculine to the feminine. Absolutely. But, but Ireland was an oral culture in, in many senses. So uh, the, the it was a very uh, oral culture and, and the, the, the story and the tradition was an oral tradition until it was recorded, you know, in Yeats times and, and that. So it was a living tradition. And folk people in some ways think that that was a a lesser a lesser piece of evidence but they they should look back on the the history of, of uh, christianity and there had to be if you believe in that well there had to be part of the divine plan that was a privileging of the oral tradition because for the first uh, for the first couple of generations as we know the uh, we we didn't have the written records because they weren't they weren't the the, the primary modus of evidential gathering at that time, as we know, as, as Bauchmann and, and people like that have talked about the origin. And people see that as a weakness. It's not. It's a testament to the, the, the perception of the superiority and primacy of the oral tradition. So Ireland Absolutely. had this oral tradition, uh, which, which, which kept it alive. And that only became accessible to the, to the intellectuals. And then they realized that when they were looking in the imperial context, they've been looking back to Greece and Rome, and that there before them was a gold mine of a of a culture that claimed uh, claimed a link back to could have been Atlantis, uh, deeper things to India. It was Ireland at the time of Yeats, of course, was in the same political arrangement was was linked to India directly. They're in this the the, the imperial structure, mm -hmm. so that they had the close connection, but. And they also saw in the pre-Christian tradition a strong tradition of hospitality, a strong tradition of nobility, a strong tradition of courtesy, a strong tradition of rights. And they began to realize that there was nobility there that hadn't been available because it had, in the imperial colonization effort for hundreds of years, it had been denied and uh, it wasn't uh, available, it wasn't accepted, and it, it was ridiculed. They believed that the people were, well, they had to, make or, or to reduce the people in order to, to, con to conquer them but the these for me these figures the uh, the fairies the she are ontologically real so mm -hmm. i don't have a problem in saying that uh, so there's a whole range of them uh, and i think there's it's similar here the tradition of elves and trolls that that does exist um, now there is an issue about dimensionality that, that in my analysis what we're doing as it was called in the celtic places there's thin places so thin right that that one can move between different dimensions there's also the point as you said about childhood people's people haven't been trained out of of the ability to perceive 
and there's also the simple things about um uh, like uh, reverend kirk mentions twilight and people think okay twilight well i'm it, it's just a bit people are confused but there is if people want scientific evidence that the light changes the way it perceives the world at that time and for a short space of time we can probably see in a different register Mm-hmm. We can probably perceive things that are in, in same that. thing about dawn, right? The the power of yes, dawn. The same thing. Yes. That's, that's why in some of the traditions, if you wanted to go and get a cure of the the holy wells, you are, you had to go out at dawn or mm-hmm. at uh, yeah at dusk to, to get them. And then, so that that idea is there in, in the Celtic twilight, and even the idea it was laughed at by all the the, the contemporary poets about about all the, the purple and the purpleness of the Celtic twilight it keeps coming purple, purple, purple. But if you pay attention or one pays attention at dusk, you can begin to see, I believe, a different register of color. And in particular, there's a shade of purple that is visible uh, when it shouldn't be, that, that it, it, there's something about the color spectrum at that period of time. So uh, there, there are other reasons where there, there are other elements in relation to the modus of of perception that would have been more familiar to people in the past it's fascinating was, to me what, what, what was a was a real thing but as I, I don't have any problem believing that they're ontologically real and that the, the effort ha- is to deny this there's one last point on this why sure. why would a colonial power want to deny this and i think we if we look at macbeth and the quote which uh, and wicked dreams abuse the curtain sleep. Mm. The, the idea that when you do, when you perpetrate some crime, if you're not a psychopath, you're not going to be able to sleep because your conscience is going to, and then you're going to see things, and then you're going to see ghosts, and then you're going to. See. So, uh, apart from the psychopaths, and there was plenty of those involved in the colonial uh, experiment, what you don't want to do if you want your people to behead people and to kill people and to do all all the awful things is to have an idea that they can pay a price through retribution from the spirits so mm-hmm. it's important to deny them it's important to take them away and also you've talked about um, the stripping of the altars and we know that that england was one of the most superstitious countries in the world before the reformation so we're asked to believe now because when i talk to my english friends if i talk about a lot of these things some of them they just go gla- they, 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 their eyes glaze over and, and, and they kind of, they, they, they're just there's nothing there's, there's no there's nothing there to, to some of my english friends and not, not, but but some of the, the older ones uh, and because this is this has been taken out of the culture uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's what the effort is to to cleanse the imagination of the possibilities of creativity which i believe yeah. is is what tolkien and, and barfield and lewis was trying to do to, 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 to they saw the rise of scientocracy and this was the antidote as, as you sort of said let me let me i think i've got two angles of questions too the first one because i want to go back to orality a little bit and almost ask you to say like you know what can we do now but let's table that for a second but one more tableau upon which to put the loss of our able to perceive this ontological reality and i'll use barfield for this one would be um the notion that for Barfield, and I think this is true for Steiner, is that like the idea that the muse that was once seemed to be external and would seize uh, would seize the poet's mind and almost uh, make him or her a slave, and the the poet would you know be oracular, and that <clears throat> Barfield would mention how 
through the course of time, that muse is now located in the innermost part of the sanctuary where I am I, right? So we find this in genius. Could we say something similar happened to the, the position or the ontological position of these fey creatures, fairies and so forth, uh, that could they be, you know, we uh, everybody's listening to Joe Rogan and these people who take DMT and see these kind of gray men or whatever. Um, is ha, Could there be a similar interiorization of this ontological reality, if that question makes sense? Uh, yes, I, I think, but, but when you were saying about that interiorization, are you suggesting that that was, is a negative thing? No, 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 no. It's just, I wonder if it's just a factual thing that like, again, if the muse was seen as outside us and now through evolution has become kind of wedded to the innermost part of the human personality, you know, this would be. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just the contextualized question properly. Uh, my belief is that what Swedenborg said is he said, first thing, over literalism is bad. The Bible wasn't, you know, it has the, the multiple layers and you, you can't approach it too literally. Uh, secondly, that the last judgment has happened and we're moving into a different phase. And, and that phase was also associated with opening up of the imagination. And then we have Blake developing on that. And, and it was a movement away from institutions. It, it was a movement towards a, a Jerusalem, which was in the imagination. So I think we can, and I think there's prefigured, even in St. Paul, there's, there's some statement, as far as I remember, about a, a, a Jerusalem, which was free, or uh, mm -hmm. there's some anticipations. So uh, what I believe the, 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 the stage of spiritual evolution was, was an assimilation of the externalized into the uh, internal realm in an enrichment, an enhancement of the imagination. Now, I, okay. I, I've... I've used the term animosphere to describe that, to try and encompass or to make us think in a, in, in a broader sense of the totality of, of discourses, um, uh, which even if we go back to early uh, Christianity, uh, St. Patrick's Prayer and Christ be before me, Christ be behind me, it's an idea of the human as a center of a sphere of, of reality that's mm -hmm. accessible uh, from, from, through their imagination and then not uh, of the imaginal world in, in, in its widest sense. So the, uh, and you, 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 you said an important thing there in relation to uh, I am, that I am, or, or, or some yeah. similar thing. In the innermost sanctuary of the I. Like, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but very important in that is that in going back to the early stages of the Israelites and the, the tabernacle, that the tabernacle is is in us. The, the, the tabernacle is the has to be interiorized, so mm -hmm. so that we have the tabernacle inside us, uh, and that the temple is inside us. So that even ultimately, I believe that there's a great chance the Catholic Church will collapse. In, in mm -hmm. uh, there's another story. This goes back to. Uh... Uh, 1846, La Salette, that said, you know, the church, and this is an approved apparition. I just want to let my Catholic listeners yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. this isn't so, a fly-by-night Mary thing, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, and also, we're going to see, there's uh, another story, but, um, for example, if we remember the shoes of the fisherman with Anthony Quinn, uh, where uh, the Ukrainian Pope, who has been in, in Soviet jails, who takes over, doesn't want the reluctant Pope, and at the end, well, I don't know, spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't seen it. Again, I've never seen it. I think it's 1963. Wow. Have you not seen it? I've not seen it. 
<laughs> I, I can't really tell you then. <laughs> no, tell me, tell me, tell me. He comes out on the balcony and he says, basically, you know, we're giving away all the church property. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now, this this is actually a serious possibility. This is a serious possibility that this this can happen in some great, you know, uh, beneficent material distribute redistribution. Oh, that's another story. We we'll go back to it. But anyway, the the church is the people who subscribed to it for me. It's the people, and it's not going to die in that sense. It, it, it's going to it's going to transform even in the worst scenarios. Mm -hmm. But the uh, so we're we're back to that phase, the tabernacle and, uh, and the temple within now. How does that fit into exploration, say, with the Joe Rogan scenario? Um, if you go through a path where you're taking these things and you're exposing yourself to beings for the fun of it, you know, the mechanical elves and all, all that kind of stuff. If people want to do that, that's grand. I'm just saying, mm -hmm. but, but if you think about it in a deeper sense, uh, when you die and you're going to the next world and the mechanical elves come and say, oh, great that you're joining us. And you say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say I was joining you. <laughs> I was just you playing around, guys. Yeah, you don't, yeah, right. You don't know what you're dealing with. Uh -huh. uh, you don't know what, what you're saying to those beings if you believe they're ontologically real. It's the yeah. same as the, the Faustian pact. You're making an agreement uh, with something. So if, if one believes that the, these are ontologically true, and that one can venture into someone else's world without consequences. Well, that's, so the the that's a very the, good warning. I agree with you 100% on that. And the key thing, the key difference, and here's the difference. And I believe, see, one one, I call it a belief or a perception. I won't go, I won't even put it higher than that, just for, for the uh, not to make too high claims, but I put it in a different way in another context. But. My belief is that these beings, which are ontologically real, some of the some of the fairies look like greys, mm. and I also think that they can move into human space. That they their form can move into uh, uh, into humans. Okay. That, the that their nature of their composition is uh, like holographic or like a collection of ions, and that, uh, that, that it's capable that they can pass into the. The human energy field. I believe the same thing about these uh, things. Now, the whole, the key point in this is one of the things that's incredibly forgotten about in Christianity is that the a dominant aspect of Christianity was the power over evil spirits. So it was a central, absolutely central aspect, and maybe one of the highest aspects. And the irony is that a lot of the people that engage in dark magic, in black magic, in sorcery, seek to utilize Christianity and saints to protect them so mm -hmm. that they can gain power. So at the same time, people who are supposedly committed to Christianity kind of don't believe in them, even though their adversaries believe in the power. Right, right, right. Of Jesus and uh, and of the saints and of Saint mm -hmm. Michael in particular, uh, so uh, it's it's very very odd. Uh, so they do. <laughs> I like your I like your sense of shock still and wonder. I agree. You know, it still yeah, shocks they, you that people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they don't understand what they, what what they're what they're dealing with. They don't believe that sorcery and magic is real or, or, or mm -hmm. spell casting or that people want to do evil. They don't believe that. Now, why that? Okay, but. Uh, I do, and uh, so 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 
if you have nothing inside you, if you haven't, I won't say avatar, but if you haven't integrated one of the higher, whether you're Buddhist or, uh, or you believe in the Pure Land Buddhism or, or you're, you're Muslim or you're, or you're a Christian, if you haven't sought to integrate into yourself a higher being, you're an open parking lot to be haunted by anything. That, that's now let's say more a little about that. Like as a spiritual practice, this notion of integrating a higher being, you know, bringing it back down to earth a little bit. What do you, like your personal path, does it mean like, say, really dialing on St. Michael or St. Francis of Assisi, or is it kind of prayer to the saints in general at different times? You know, we might pray to St. Jude or St. Patrick. Say a little bit more about how you see that taking place, because you're making a very concrete case, almost a provable one, you know, that unless we kind of fill ourselves with the good, we're, we're an open vessel for the bad. Can you say a little bit more about like the practice as you see it, or has it worked well, in your life? Uh, for me personally, um, I, I was quite cosmopolitan. I, I was brought up Catholic, but I was very, I had great problems with witnessing before me uh, uh, the usual story. Uh, yeah, sure. People not practicing what they preach and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, I read a lot of history in that, so I never kind of got into a stupid idea of uh, of rewriting the history. I, I have respect for the historical sources, and I don't I, I don't make a, an oversimplistic critique, and I often end up defending the historical church because people are just wrong in relation. Because now we have a lot of people uh, saying, for example, the Christianity began only a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stand it, you know. I, I, do, uh-huh. I just find that, uh, you know. So, and then I have problems now in relation to what's happening in the church. And I also uh, have another. I haven't got this book out yet, but it's about it's about Trotskyism and and, and Gramsci okay. and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, if one understands what has been happening for the last hundred years, one has to be very careful in dealing with uh, uh, dealing with institutions. So uh, certainly, if, uh, I think you can get inspiration from a range of traditions. I've, al- I've always felt that. But there's higher level traditions in it. And the, for me, the uh, St. Michael figure became important in, Very big. in my uh, awakening. And, and, and that, that's, that's there for Steiner. Um, I, I did have so I, again. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get into a position where I'm, you know, a person gets into all the unique things that only happen to them, and it begins to sound. Uh, it begins to sound like self-aggrandizement. But uh, I did have a, a kind of a, a little epiphany, and one of a, a whole range of epiphanies, which corresponded with Michaelmas as well. Mm. And I said, okay, there's something. There's some context when I wasn't really aware of it at that time. Although I would have been, because if you're from a legal term and university term and going back to uh, Michaelmas was always important. But uh, so, so on St. Uh, Michael's feast, there was a kind of a, a realization that I associated with Michael. And I began mm. to uh, look again at uh, this figure of, of Michael. And again, for some people, it's St. Michael. For some people, it's the Archangel Michael. For some people, it's, uh, it, it's just Michael. Uh, this figure is very, very important, uh, and it's 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 important as the oppositional force, uh, as mm-hmm. we know, towards that, uh, towards the uh, Aramanic, uh, the Aramanic force. Now, I, I would have come to that 
independently on my own view, independent, uh, independent of say Steiner. And that. This was more visceral for you. You know, you, you're yeah, saying you yeah. would have come to it like by reading the sociologists and yeah. yeah. I would have come to it as well by my, uh, I don't want to experience this uh, intuitive inspiration or whatever you, you want to call it um, without, without over describing it, but they, they would have, uh, in the sense you talk about the muse, Mm -hmm. uh, what, what happened for me that, that made me look back at spirituality was that I began to find ready-made kind of ready-made <laughs> answers, lines, things that I didn't seem to work at. Now I understand, I understand the description, left brain, right brain, how it comes and how that works. I understand that, but it was the effortlessness of of conclusion or perception. Uh, and there's also a noetic feel about certain lines, statements, insights that become clear. Uh, and for example, recently I've been thinking about Bridget. This is the Bridget's cross behind yeah, the, uh, yeah, the study yeah, yeah. Bridget. Is that your own painting? Yeah, it's okay. It's a I like it. Yeah. For, uh, Saint Bridget. And, yeah, the yeah, Mary so, of the Gales, right? Yeah, but so so Saint Bridget's an interesting figure, and there's loads of. There's, there's loads of interesting debates, but she was a pagan figure and a Christian figure. So some people say, oh, the Christian figure never, again, that those debates don't interest me. But this is a very, very, a very important figure. She may be the most important figure in the so sociological, huh. uh, or the new sociological canon. She may be one, huh. one of them. I, I, I would, I would emphasize uh, her. And why I would emphasize her was, um, do you, do you know the? Do you have? Are you familiar with the notion of the bride well or bride well, like a prison where where you you would have come across you'll come no. across it somewhere. Okay. In a lot of at a lot of police stations, they have a bride well or a, a holding station. Okay. They're, yeah. all, they're all around the world. Yeah. And the the bride well goes back to Saint Bride's Well in the city of London. So Saint Bride's Well was a holy place associated with bride, who was Bridget. Okay. So bride is what the English call bridges. So it was an important place in London. And bride, the, the bride well that was a holy place turned into the bride well prison. Hmm. It, was, it was one of these, a changeling, which is another idea associated with the fair. Sure, sure. This was an inversion. Like a free flowing became a jail, like a, an upward going well, free fluid becomes a concrete masculine type of locking on, almost blocking the well, right? Not only that, this was okay. exactly the spot where Henry VIII was when the Reformation happened. Fascinating. It came from there. Huh. And after that, so we had Saint Bride, Bridget, Transformation, Arrival, the Virgin Queen, his daughter, Queen Elizabeth, mm -hmm. this appropriation. This is the changeling. It's a strategy. It's an inversion. So... Um, what's and, and again, there's a, if you follow that little stream the, or the, the, the river fleet that, that flows into the Bridewell, it's just on the, off the Thames, you get to Clerkenwell where the Bolsheviks were formed. The Bolsheviks were formed in London huh. up that river. It's quite, it's another story, but it's quite yeah. remarkable. It's, it's in all Dickens' story where all the, the, the prisons were, you, you'll recognize all the places it was on the river fleet. Okay, uh, and Bridewell was there. So, but the funny thing is that the Normans were always afraid of the Celtic saints. And this is, this is, this is, this is an empowering thing. They had, and I've seen this in some of the academic literature, you don't see much. They were afraid and fearful of the power of 
the 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 Irish and and and, and Celtic saints. Say more. Like in what way? You're like in a visceral way. It's just yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seemed yeah. A, a, a yeah. deep a deep fear, and I think that that was why it took a, a while to to get rid of them. And the Reformation as well may have contributed to that. They believed mm-hmm. that they had power because they did have power. I have to develop this point. But notice when when Prince Charles becomes King Charles, and the coronation, he's still going to have, I think, the Stone of Destiny under the the throne which the Stone of Destiny is quite remarkable, huh. which now there's a lot of debates about that. We could have a, there's another discussion on that. But it goes back to the Tuatha originally in the legend of that stone. Now, this particular stone doesn't, but it, it goes back to an ancient stone of the Tuatha who were the people that the fairies supposedly came from. So, okay, that's all new to me. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But these they believe in these things. That, that's why they went after the witches, because they believed these things were powerful. That's why James I persecuted the witches, mm-hmm. because they, they knew that there was a power there. Now, uh, so, so it wasn't solely an anti-women uh, thing. There was, there was males killed in the witch thing as well. Of course, there was misogyny involved in that, but it was also because they feared them. And th- th- this, is an interesting, this is an interesting point that people don't understand, that early and in particular Celtic, the, the, the Celtic church, they had power. Um, can I make one more point? I don't want to- Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is important for anyone that wants to understand the reality, and it's not there in the literature. Uh, 536 is a key year. Now, I know you, you, you talked with a, a, a priest who mentioned 572, uh, as a default, you know, associated with the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. 536, was the key year that changed that changed the world? Uh, civilizations fell. Um, Mexico, the uh, civilization fell. The Roman Empire fell. Uh, circumstances changed dramatically up here. Are you saying Teotihuacan fell? Is that the Mexican civilization? Uh, uh, no, uh, I'm, 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 it's the, I think it's the one beginning where all fell. It's, it's the okay, major, the Olmec. Uh, Olmec. Maybe. I'm not sure if it was the only. Okay, I'm ignorant on it. Go ahead. It was, yep. dominant, it was the dominant one. Yep. Uh, okay. I, I don't want to, st- to, to, to state. And I, Me I, neither. I don't remember Me the neither. particular thing. But it, it was a major uh, transformation. Now, uh, it's it's uh, scientists have are quite convinced that the, the Icelandic volcanoes went off, a volcano probably in America, and probably Krakatoa. So they erupted in 536. And they caused darkness. And that's where the dark ages came from. Mm-hmm. It was literal darkness. So recently, the oldest rune, there's a new book out about the oldest rune stone in Sweden. Now, this is, this is uh, near Fundinov, where Swedenborg would have spent time. Okay. Uh, there's another <laughs> connection. But the oldest rune stone, so usually they say, James Tunney is here. He was a great man and whatever he died and whatever. So uh, this one said, according to this new interpretation, uh, and so so the dating of the runes are about uh, 800. And it says, nine generations ago, the wolf ate the sun. Hmm. That, more or less, that's what it says. So now they're realizing that that referred to 536. 
the the volcanoes and the darkness volcanoes that descended. And, yeah. and here is where you get the basis of a lot of Norse mythology. Hmm. A lot of it came from this from, from this cataclysm. So how 536 was critical in the Irish context was out of that we have Columba. So Columba comes to uh, to Iona and he sets up really the heart of the Celtic Christian world mm -hmm. from which we get subsequently the Book of Kells, the great efflorescence, uh, as well as that, a, a, a Bible which is is not just in words, it's it's pictures as well. Right so brain and left brain, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it defies the idea about what the alpha and how dangerous that was. So we, we, we get, now who, and this is the key point that a lot of people don't understand, because they, they say, well, the Celtic, the, the church came in, destroyed all this, and now they're saying that Columba was a colonized, all this nonsense, absolute utter nonsense. Mm. But what happened, in my view, and I'm fairly convinced about this, um, other people wouldn't agree with it. Someone, a person I've seen make a comment, they didn't say why they didn't agree with it, but they said it had been studying for 40 years, but no <laughs> specific critique. And funnily enough, I contacted one of the scientists who has worked on this dating, 536. It's, it, it's, it's corroborated by looking at tree rings, uh, dendro, uh, dendrochronology, and, and also uh, glaciers. So there's no, there's no doubt in my head. Uh, although, funny enough, they saw, the scientists I talked said, um, yes, that date was important, it was critical, but I don't think there was anyone called St. Columba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we always have to work on two fronts, right? Oh, yeah. well, it was kind of, uh, kind of uh, frightening. Like, uh, but, uh, anyway, so here we, what, would have that, what did that mean for the <laughs> Druids? It meant that their magic and maintaining order and maintaining the Logos what didn't work for a number of the crops failed the people died they couldn't see the sun so that's where we had this transformation so i believe that columba and that would have come from a druid druidic context where they said okay this this magic is missing something and therefore they embraced christianity in a a, a way that was a synthesis because columba never never gave away any of his powers he communicated with shining beings he communicated with uh with beings that sound extraterrestrial he could see at second sight he could see at a distance he could do remote viewing he could do the whole lot of it he was the first person i probably mentioned the Loch Ness monster mm -hmm. it's quite remarkable so he didn't give up any of those spiritual they, they weren't inconsistent with christianity he integrated Christianity into the pre-existing. He didn't give up any of those spiritual powers, right? No. They, right, I get it. Or, yeah. or beliefs, or they integrate. Yeah. And that's why the cross has the sun and the cross in unity mm -hmm. with a circle and the cross. It's, it's showing that they're harmonious. They link together the sun of God, uh, the, the, the sun, let you bring the sun back. And this also corresponded with Newgrange, which is 5,000 years old in Ireland, that it was built so the sun shines in on the 21st of December. So every mm -hmm. year still, the sun shines in through a chamber over the doorway into the center of this mound. And mm -hmm. that was built 5,000 years ago. The sunlight, 21st of December, it's a bit of a giveaway, you know. So, so there was, it, it was easy to, 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 to marry those views. So the, the critics that say that Christianity came in and, and destroyed, uh, it's not true. It was the other way around. But they moved in, and that's why it was so successful, because they loved nature. That's why you have 
St. Kevin, St. Bridget, uh, Brandon, and also... uh, (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Martin has returned, gone for a full 25-minute break with a power outage or something. (laughs) You haven't missed anything, Michael. Just kidding. You've missed a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the, uh, you know, the power of the Celtic saints, St. Columba, you know, St. Bridget, and how... uh, at that early Celtic Christian point, you know, they didn't renounce their powers when no. they... And right. not only that, uh, if you look at uh, the uh, Adam Nahn, who, who wrote the, the Life of Columba, who also wrote the vision of Adam Nahn is, is meant to be an anticipation of Dante. And Adam Nahn also wrote, although he hadn't been there, a description of the features of that. It was the first tourist guide, if you like, of or pilgrimage guide to Jerusalem and the Holy Land. Because of his conversations with people who had been there, so and also we get this idea of Jerusalem as a place, and Jerusalem is a an imaginary place as well that was reflected in the in the monasteries. So it becomes a place which is where uh, Blake later uh, uh, brings it on. But if we if we if the monks, as it seems, possibly went to America, uh, definitely went to Iceland, definitely has been proven now. I think recently in scientific papers where were in the Faroe Islands before the Vikings. Why did they do all these things? Well, one, they were very adventurous. They were very brave. They were very aware of the stars. The Celtic cross for some people is an indication of a navigational device. Mm-hmm. It reflects this, this uh, device they use for, for, for sailing. So uh, they're, they're obviously very brave. And if they were bringing, if they were bringing uh, God's word to the end of the earth, they saw that there was something coming from the north. They knew there was something. So they had to go to the end of the earth. They, and they literally, they, they did go to the ends of the earth. So it was a much more robust exploratory uh, exploratory institution. Last point, sorry for banging on so, sure. so long, but last point. When we come down to the expansion of the British Empire, John Dee all of a sudden, mm-hmm. John Dee discovers, uh, or, or he has the plans for the expansion of the British Empire. There's a magical... A magical ceremony to initiate the British Empire and directs the people to go to North America. How did he know about the uh, about North America? He probably knew because the biggest library uh, in the world, in Britain certainly. Where mm-hmm. did the library come from? It came from the monasteries. Why did the Why did the monasteries tell him they had information about the stars, about navigation, and that's where the, a lot of the secrets came from as well mm-hmm. in the reference. Sorry for going on. No, no, no. And I follow it. And to bring Michael up to speed, you know, uh, James has taken us through really a tour de force, you know, but one was, um, but what we're we're talking about is a big theme in our show is that the, you know, the, the historical atrophying of the imaginative, you know, the, the feminine, the wells go dry. We're talking about the blocking up of wells. And so we have this huge theme and we have, again, tied into the, the um, you know the the realm of fairies is this inability to perceive and so forth. But I want to ask you, James. And I know Michael have a lot of thoughts on this too. So here we are. You know, um, and you had mentioned the alphabet, and, we're, and I mentioned I wanted to revisit orality and so forth. Yeah. Um, there's a great scholar I'm reading now, and I've got two more books on the way. And I don't know if you've heard of him, James. His name is Marcel Jus, J O U S S E. He was a Jesuit, a precursor to Walter Ong, a precursor to. Uh, Havelock and so forth, but maybe this foundational scholar of orality. He grew up in the Sarth region of France and really grew up in an oral culture with the Pizans, you know, talking. But um, 
really going into him because, you know, the Catholic Church has had this kind of, um, there's a crisis in the church. So the bishops get together and they say in the U.S., three years of indoctrination on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, right? And it seems to lack all poetry. And um, so I'm even looking at the ritual of the Eucharist, which precedes literacy, you know, the, the, the roots of it in oral culture, this Marcel Juice wrote about. That being said, especially as pertaining to the alphabet, and I know Michael was reading a book, A is for Ox, by Barry Sanders, or was it uh, the- ABC. Okay, because he has another one yeah. called A is yeah. for Ox, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what would you do, you know, we're stuck with some form of literacy, but like, what would you say, James, as a way to guide us to a raising of perception? Like, what are some practical things we can do to fight on our own, to fight the final last remnants of our, quote unquote, right brain being atrophied, you know, to almost near okay. sclerosis? Uh, uh, yeah. I should have, or to tie into the question asked me beforehand about practices. And to tie in to, to Michael missed it. Uh, of course, the key a key theme is about sophiology, uh, and what I was suggesting is that Bridget, whether you conceive her as a pagan or whether you conceive her uh, as a Christian saint. Michael, you'll be glad to know Bridget and Saint Michael are looming super large here. <laughs> That's my so team right there. That's your team, yeah. So when I showed that when my African American friend looked at this and I was started to explain to him what this cross was and, the, uh, and he said, oh, I know it's a sun symbol. And, and that, that, that's correct uh, as well. And, and, and this association with the sun is, is, is one, one reading of it. But then when you get into that, then a wheel of light, there's also association with the chakras. Mm-hmm. I believe that Bridget is a very strong candidate for a representation of the anima in us. Yeah. That it's in us. So Kundalini, all this kind of stuff, not talking about that particular, but when you take them into your system, embody them in a real imaginative way, they become a literal positive force in, in, in your body, and they begin to explain things associated with, even in, in terms of health, but in the way, the movement of things, the flow, et cetera. So I believe that uh, I've tr- sought to define the animosphere in particular to, to anticipate that sociological element, that it has to be a, the feminine element. Yeah. That, that, that's mm-hmm. what has been fought against. We, we, we know that. But there's two elements in that. There's a danger in that as well. And let me give you another example. And this is where the logic of the fairies or the story of the fairies is important because the key idea is the changeling. Now, I associate the changeling with the inversion. Right. You, you get something that kind of looks like what was there before, but it's not it. Now, the example I would use, it's also important to understand the depths of this spiritual warfare on the individual. For example, when I was in Dublin, as a student, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I was a student at that time, but it was about the time when Ireland was going through a great transformation, the end of the, the kind of widespread Catholic uh, belief in a, in a deeper sense. And yeah. we got MTV. M- MTV uh, came in always. Now, for me, I, I was just amazed at this cultural imp- imposition. <laughs> it was kind of a a shock in relation to yeah. 
uh, it was just, it was just, yeah, if you're aware of things, you're aware that this is a, this is like a battering ram. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not prudish or anything. I'm, you know, I'm not threatened by, I'm open to a lot of things, but you're aware that there's something going on here. And associated with that period, when you're beginning to see, you had uh, Madonna, a very, very interesting cultural thing, which is underexplored. So here we are, we're in a culture which sees has a very strong image of the Virgin Mary, Madonna. All of a sudden, you get a great constant force of Madonna, a pop icon, uh, capturing the attention, like a virgin, Madonna, mm -hmm. like a virgin, a, a feminine archetype, uh, archetype as a dominatrix, Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. And in the end, you get the, the changeling, you get the Mm -hmm. over. It really is a cultural program. And, and, and I, people may think that's too easy. And you also had the main foreign airline coming into Ireland with Virgin, 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 Virgin. So mm -hmm. you had a changeling come in. You had yeah. a, in the public consciousness, there was a shift. And people say, well, that doesn't work. That it, it does work. And substitution, it's a substitute. I've described in my book, it's a substitution loop. You have a loop of the Virgin, Virgin Mary associated with the Holy, and then you replace it with another thing. And people don't mm -hmm. believe in this. So what you have is you have the feminine logos replaced by a changeling commercial logo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that simple and it's that profound and people haven't seen it. So that in some ways, the fairy stories anticipate some yeah. of, of how dark forces behave. There's, there's that element. By looking at some of the stories, you can begin to see um, I, I, the, the king of the black desert. You can begin to see uh, Pate's uh, Gawain and the Green Knight. Mm -hmm. Why are they telling us these stories? They're, really interesting that these fairy stories anticipate, I'm just reiterating what you said, the fairy stories yeah. anticipate some of these templates used in our times so we can yeah, help recognize what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. And, yeah. and that's not an accident. All that stuff no, is not sure. an accident. And also, and I, th this, uh, I wrote a book, uh, I, I say about a very select group of people. <laughs> it was a novel. Uh, it was uh, uh, called uh, Blue Lies September. It's, it's uh, in many ways, it's, it's, it's super flawed in some senses, but I'm, I'm very happy with what I did in it. It was about, the main character was a dominatrix. I was trying to represent this figure that had come into public, and I was I'm fascinated with why is this figure here? And this is the figure. This is the changeling full representation of the right. strong feminine. That's mm -hmm, what it is. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's it's, it's used. It's being used as a, a, a as a false, a, a false goddess. If, if you, and goddess, right. I mean, it's quite remarkable. And in that book, uh, I anticipated, for example, for a different reason, I anticipated lockdowns. I anticipated London being locked down. I could see it happening. I anticipated a number of things uh, that, uh, so uh, I, I could I could feel that. So I'm happy that I did that before this. this, this Absolutely this documented. The 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 uh, so these figures, the pagan Christian with Christian uh, figure of Bridget. If you're a Christian, uh, the archetype of Bridget is a figure that represents your internal, it's a figure that informs the 
the tabernacle or the, or the carrying of the tabernacle mm -hmm. uh, around. It gives you a modus uh, to operate. It gives you a an inspiration, the proper sense of what the word inspiration is. So I, I think what Blake is, what Swedenborg is saying, what Blake is saying, and, and what this movement in the next generation, the interiorization, is the building up, recognizing uh, where we've gone wrong, as Barfield have talking about, and the recovery, as Tolkien anticipated, the, the recovery as Lewis anticipated, the opposition is the machine, as Tolkien said, the machine that is going to take our soul and literally, I believe we're talking about the end of the human race and the mm -hmm. end of the human spirit. I don't mind losing my life, but I don't want to lose my eternal soul. That's that, that's that's the yeah. difference. <laughs> uh, I've no I've no problem. I mean, point taken. Enough, but, yeah. but there's a difference. If you believe in your eternal soul, you don't want to give it up to, to uh, in a Faustian pact. And th this is what the machine is doing. Yeah. The solution that they're pointing to and that the I see in parallels to yours that in the conviviality and in the sophiology is to reanimate our consciousness by reference to the proper archetypes, the positive right. archetypes, which are not false changeling substitutes. And I think I think you make an important important point where you're talking about the changelings, right? Is uh that was also I mean, that's also that's what transhumanism is. It's creating a nation a, a, a a genus of, of changelings. Yes. It looks human, exactly. but it's not human. It's the same thing with GMO uh, agricultural products and, and even animals, right? They may look, I tell my students, you know, so, well, it might look like corn. Is it really corn? If it has spider DNA in it or other, th you know, other things. And, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, one of the people, the original people at, at Findhorn, R. Ogilvy Crombie, do you know about him? It rings a bell. He, uh, he writes. He, he was a person who had. He was a. Uh, I think he was a physicist by by training, but he he was intuitive and had communication with nature spirits, including the great god Pan. Yes. Who, yeah, I do know him. Yeah, he lived in and, Edinburgh. And, and, he, he might have been a yes, lawyer. Was that's he? the guy. Uh, I wasn't. He was a physicist. I think he was a okay, scientist. Yeah. But, and, he lived in Edinburgh. The, in his experience with Pan. Yeah who Pan told him, I serve the almighty God, hmm. you know, which, I, but he also warned him, but there's also an anti-Pan. So there's, there's, there's somebody out there imitating me who is not me and who's not yes. good. Right. Which is the same thing we have with the, with Philip K. Dick and this, all the, the androids, right. And his, yeah. his fundamental insight about how do you know who you are? Right. How do you know you're real? How do you know you're not a robot? Yeah. Right. And don't you think we've barely begun to catechize people in the sense that the Antichrist or Lucifer, you know, again, is is so similar looking to Christ. You know, we have this whole world deluded that like, you know, evil is 180 degrees away from good, not mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the right. close corruption of good and so forth, you know. Right. <clears throat> yes. And that's that. This is the this is this is where the discernment comes in. It's at the margin because. You can a person you can agree with them for ninety eight percent of the important things that they say, but it may be the two percent which is the yeah. is the hinge issue, is the yeah. key bit. So they well, only have to sell you, they only have the you know, they sell you a certain amount. Yeah, yeah, and they know and they're very good at selling this, but it's 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 what is the key the the marginal right. bits, and this is where the fairy thing is. It's all on the margin. It's all on the in that the bit that we're talking about yeah. on the cusp. Mm -hmm. 
it's on the cusp. It's in the gap. It's in on the foreshore between the uh, the land and the sea. It's in, it's in the, uh, the 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 threshold uh, on the liminal yeah. in the liminal zone. Liminal. It's 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 about being able to negotiate that by and the only negotiate that by having uh, in the Sufi context orientation. You have to have that commitment to the yeah. highest of what is the highest for you, right. and whether it be uh, Michael or, or or whatever. And and there's another thing about this. The doppelganger is a key issue as well, which is Absolutely. associated with changing and the, and the two things. And this was a very common thing. I remember my grandfather, who also you know claimed to to, to see the banshee and uh, yeah. uh, or hear the banshee or or see her sitting up on a post combing her hair. Um, yep. And also, he did have this experience of the the fetch of the uh, the person appearing when they couldn't have possibly appeared when they were in in England and they had died and this. This is a common thing, and this is what, uh, in in the book, The Secret Commonwealth by Pullman, he he, he developed that doppelganger uh, aspect. There's an interesting bit about that as well. It's about if you look at Stephen King or Pullman, um, a lot of these people, and I'm not saying anything bad against, but a lot of these people don't actually believe, yeah, believe in these as ontological things, yeah. and they don't. A lot of them. I don't want to talk about particular individuals, but they're they're atheists. They don't believe in in, in higher spiritual stuff. So mm -hmm. even in these contexts, there's a difference between reading Reverend Kirk, who believes in a whole range of things and believes yeah. in a divine consciousness, and reading someone who doesn't believe in higher things and is merely interested in the sensations of them. Right. And uh, there's another, and this is going to be another big problem in in relation to what you said. Um, Michael about the transhumanism. A lot of scientists believe that highly sophisticated technological cultures will be invisible. The beings will be invisible. So there is an, another idea that, uh, well, there's certainly the idea that we have creatures on this planet that are plasmate form or a different form of matter that science hasn't really copped onto or hasn't been looking for that. And right. Helen Sharman, who's a who was the first British astronaut said that she believed that that was possibly the case. And then we have the idea that there's possibly other machine beings that don't seem to be machines because they seem kind of spiritual. This is going to be a problem combined with the technology that they have to confuse us. And as they sought to use during uh, Cuba as a project Jesus into the clouds and and all that kind of stuff, a hologram. It's going to be very, very difficult for us mm -hmm. to distinguish between what's real, ontologically real, and what's not, although we might think it's benign. So all those issues come back. And the only way we can judge them is by having some kind of a priori sense of what is truthful and what is well, important yeah. in this. And I, and I think there are certainly, like my daughter, for instance, but there are people who are kind of have a natural gift for 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 this for seeing these things right where other people don't which is and i think the bad guys know about it because it, um my wife was was telling my kids uh they were asking about mk ultra and my wife said yeah those are the kind of people if they'd known about how your dad was when he was a kid they would have kidnapped him <laughs> and put him into a place trying to do remote viewing because uh like you said, with with your grandfather and the stories of the Banshee, we, I, my grandfather was from Carrick and Shannon in Ireland. Okay, yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. and he told us the same story, <laughs> same same stories from 
from and and that for those of you who don't know that's out i don't know if it still is but it was when i was there 30 years ago way out in the countryside you know yeah it's not far from where our family was historically you know and 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 again going back to it's near the columba territory that we were Mm -hmm. talking about yeah um and they were they were, were were very open to it yes there's there's also a there's also a strong idea, as, as we know, in the literature, that the mystical community is hidden. And that the idea of the, the congregation of light, for example, the idea right. that the mystics are there, they don't necessarily have to be open. And there's, there's a lot to be said for that, because, as you said, if they know where you live, <laughs> they might be yeah. knocking on your door. Yeah. And now the mystics here's the key point we're at the stage we, we, we we've we've kind of i don't know we're just at the intersection but we're there somewhere there or thereabout the the, the the stream has started going two different ways already and uh the, the the problem will be here now we have the conflict with saint columba saint patrick with bridget they could demonstrate their power this is where how Christianity grew, they could yeah. demonstrate their awareness of natural magic mm-hmm. and divine light magic, which uh, which at various stages was acceptable uh, to the church. Not talking about ceremonial magic, but right. the idea yeah. of understanding the magic in nature or the imminent divine, yeah. and the idea of understanding higher order inspiration. Uh, so they could demonstrate their power. They could show by example. Now, the current priesthood doesn't have the magic (laughs) greatest understatement in the history of the regeneration podcast (laughs) but i mean it's a big problem they can't they can't they can't lead they can't they can't oppose uh they can only probably contribute towards the the forces of globalization whatever you want to call it the forces towards global government they don't have the ability they don't even have the ability to analyze it they don't have the ability to understand whether they've been deceived even if they're not uh, badly uh, intention so this this is this is a great problem so here here is here is the, the the issue if the mystics cannot demonstrate their power in evolutionary terms it kind of fails it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't there's there's, there's something in here and in that failure it's it's testament to its it, it has to demonstrate its power it can't hide itself away and and one point when I, I, I tying in with the so, so the sociology and tying in with what people actually believe. When I, I began to talk to some of my relations, there's one of my aunts who's still alive in London, and about and she's intensely religious. Now, Irish spirituality had nothing doctrinal in it. There was nothing, it wasn't anything okay. about rituals, regula- regulations or, or or rules or about doctrine. They weren't interested in any of that. It was a deep spirituality that it, it didn't even, there was no argument in it. It was, yeah. it was a force. Yeah. And, and this is, this is made a force be with you. It was, it was of that level of a, of a real presence, a real presence. Young people are hungry for that, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so I, I, I was talking to her about her belief a few times, trying to get a sense of what was the important thing for her and her mother who had a similar, similar, almost a natural force belief. There wasn't anything, there was nothing in it. 
And for them, the key figure was the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't appear in the, in, in the discussions about Irish Catholicism, but it seems, now I don't know how deep or widespread this is, but the figure that spoke to them was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, so it was more consistent with, if you like, the great spirit in the Native American traditions. It was a lot more comprehensive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't got to do with any of, of the particular saints. And that was a real force that was of real use. And it was as real as anything. It was as real ontologically as anything. And that's not in the, that's not really, it doesn't come up in, in that form when you look at all the, the kind of concretized left brain descriptions right. of what was going on. And, uh, and, and so in, when I, in our house church services, we, we, we often read from the Carmina Gadelica, uh, which is end of the, the prayers and, and songs and poetry in there. They're so connected to, they connect the Christ and, and the Holy Spirit and God, the father and the Virgin and St. Bridget. And, and they're big on St. Michael all the time yeah. to nature. It's, it's all intertwined yeah. with nature. And it's interesting that Celtic spirituality unlike everything else in Western European Catholicism was not an urban phenomenon. It, it, it was, it was out in the, in the wastes, in the wild, mm-hmm. right? It was not a city thing. This is an important point. Ireland didn't have cities. Uh, yeah. So Ireland, the population was spread out, it was decentralized. And that was very important because it, it led to a different type of economy. Sometimes the anarcho-capitalists look back to ancient Ireland, whether it was right or not. They had a, a the Brehan Law legal system, which was a sophisticated legal system well before the common law ever happened. Uh, they had, for example, uh, Adam Non, who came on from Columba, um, created an international conference in Ireland in the 8th century to promulgate the first if possibly the, the first ever uh, international convention for the protection of the rights of women and children in the, in the event of warfare. Mm. It's the only, it's the mm. oldest example of a, a, an international legal convention for that mm. particular reason. So law and jurisprudence, this is the thing that's ignored in all the, in all the debates. If you look at uh, Muhammad in Islam, we're talking about jurisprudence. If you look at a lot of the great, Islamic writers. We're talking about jurisprudence, about the science and study of law. If we look at Moses, we're talking about jurisprudence. So law rules and religious behavior, the law and the natural law sense uh, is important, but it's also a more integrated integrated thing. Now, um, there's also another poem from the 8th century. I won't, uh, I don't remember the exact detail, but it kind of ties into uh, the St. Patrick's prayer and that idea of the ubiquitous, imminent, uh, divine, yeah. uh, in, in a lament way, where Lady in Lady Gregory's translation, where it, and they use this in the film, The Dead by John Huston, uh, based oh, on yeah. James Joyce's short story, where the, he says, the poem says, "You have taken the east from me, you have taken the west, you have taken, the, you know, so he, he, you've taken everything from." And the, the, the final line is. And my greatest fear is you have taken God from me. Now that's that's a frightening yeah. line. I didn't realize just, I didn't realize that what's that what that was from. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So so that was uh, so that was it was in the dead film. It was a yeah. translation from Lady Gregory of an eighth century Irish poem. So 
the implication of all this that this is what the game is it's not it's not to take your uh, your bitcoin or it's not to take your your wealth it's not to, it's to take god and your soul from you that that's what the that's the whole the game is in, mm. in all this and there's right. no other if anyone thinks it's lesser than that uh, they're mistaken on that so we're in yeah. the period where we're fighting for not just the human race and i don't i mean in a, in a peaceful sense of course but we're, 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 the, the struggle is for the continuation of the human spirit in any meaningful right. sense. Well, you, and you know, this we, country, I'm sure, go ahead. I'm sure you on, know Michael. this, that a uh, hundred years ago, Rudolf Steiner predicted that, uh, that a vaccine would eventually be developed that would, that would destroy the human, the relationship Still, yeah, of the body speech, to the soul. October yeah. 1917, he did yeah. that. Uh, uh, I think it was around that time he did it. Yeah, I think so. In, yeah. So and notice the time as well, 1917, mm-hmm. Fatima, Bolsheviks. Right. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, I mean, it, it was it was clear going on. I, you, I don't think you were here when I was saying. I think I think the period was was I don't know where 1863 to 1963. So um, mm-hmm. uh, that, for that, that was yeah. a turning point uh, yeah. as well in, in that movement towards uh, ubiquitous materialism, uh, uh, permanent kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. unavoidable materialism and also a bloody materialism now my uh, final point in my in the in the, the book that i wrote recently I, I trace a lot of this to france i trace a lot of it to norman france that the the basis of uh, this this idea of a centralized church which doesn't actually when you look at the historical evidence it was never really as centralized as no. people claim so therefore the attribution towards a centralized order in rome it just doesn't stand up to historical scrutiny. Whereas if you look at the origin of a lot of, of, of matters, uh, crusades, for example, they're really associated with the French nobility. And if you look at the destruction of the Qatars and that, it's really associated with the, or the Templars, it's associated with the French nobility. And the French nobility were also, there's a very interesting PhD written on, uh, I think it's Philip the Good, I got them mixed up, Philip the Good, Philip the Bold, uh, and he set up, the order of the golden tree, which is the, as far as I can see, it's really the model network where you give gifts to people uh, without holding a particular state and you get their allegiance in the context of political, uh, political shenanigans. And mm-hmm. really from there, uh, translated into the British Empire, we have- Isn't that what they're talking about now with philanthropic capitalism, this latest Bitcoin or this uh, this crypto scandal? You know, these people just say, I'm going to get so rich so I can start giving money. And they actually pose as good, benevolent people, you know, and not as these uh, people are trying to engineer a whole new human being. You know? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I did say, I was saying to, I did a couple of interviews with uh, younger people that were interested in, in younger than me anyway, interested in uh, Bitcoin. And they kind of look down the nose a bit when I say, well, look, uh, I think you have to accept when you're talking about these things, the value of can go to zero. And they kind of think that I don't really get the technology. Uh-huh, and this, yeah. I don't. And, I'm, uh, and you have to understand about Ponzi schemes and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So, oh, boy, so, uh, oh, boy. Uh, but uh, they and they, they think I just don't get it. I, I saw the same thing when they had the Celtic tiger. I knew the Celtic yeah. tiger was doomed to extinction. Tiger had nothing <laughs> got to do with Celtic. That was thing. a hard thing to watch for all of us who love oh, Ireland so much. I was much. out of Ireland, but I couldn't believe it because if they had any sense, they would have seen what had happened with the Asian tigers. 
yeah. you know, before that and Soros and all Vulture this. capitalism, right? Yeah. yeah. And yep. um, just look, check me battery here as I'm talking to you. And people were advising me then. They were telling me that, oh, they were giving me lectures, young people giving me lectures about economics. And it was, it was cool. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. absolutely. <laughs> well, how about this? As we wind down a little bit, James, you know, I want to I want to highlight some things is that you began with what I consider this kind of tour de force. And Michael, when your power went out and so forth or your Internet, uh, James continued to just draw on like previous episodes and things. And I just uh, the courtesy, you know, of uh, you kind of investigating us and so forth. But, you know, the really the larger theme is how much uh, how much we are working on the same thing from different angles. So it's been such a joy. You know, I wonder, James, if um, if you you know, a we'd like to have you on again for sure. Uh, and B, Absolutely. can you tell people how to locate more of your work, you know, direct us and do a commercial for yourself and don't uh, don't rush it. Uh, the, the only thing I'd say is have a look at the plantation of the automatons, which is the, probably the most serious work I've done. I, I put that oh, okay. out this week. Um, the plantation of the automatons. I'm writing that down too. The, uh, that's, that's the main thing at the moment. I, I, I've worked hard on that. I'd rather be doing other things. I have a, I have a stack of books that I wanted to do but this one was forced in this way mm-hmm. forward. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I don't want to praise myself on that, but because of the things I've studied that you don't know in your lifetime, when you study things, uh, what becomes important. But when you're going on a spiral, some of the things that didn't seem important become important. For example, the legal history of Europe is not a thing that I hear in most of these debates. But to give one example, uh, for example, Marxism, according to people like Alan, Mac, Professor Alan McFarlane, got their analysis wrong because they didn't understand the legal history of Britain when they were doing their analysis. Mm-hmm. And that's right. And, and to understand what has happened and what's happening, you really have to come back to some of these historical issues. So I've sought to do that. And a lot of people, it's a lot of people won't find it an easy read. It is complex. You don't like complex books. Don't don't bother. <laughs> but uh, for anyone that's uh, said, oh, it's too difficult, no problem. Uh, but if you're looking to try and join some of the the deeper dots, there, 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 there are uh, answers in there. And the one point I would make is that I've tried to describe what's happening in the spiritual sense. There is a, what I call a mystic murmuration happening. There is a, a counter force, which is, gathering in form mystic murmuration i like that yeah it's whether it's you want to call it the great spirit the holy spirit whatever tradition people come from and i also associate with that uh dr zelenko in the united states said he said Mm -hmm. well i'm jewish uh but my family don't support me recently in relation to decisions i've made about what i think is going on and now i feel that i'm brother to anyone in the spiritual traditions that understand what's happening and funny enough, when I was looking back at who predicted this, if you look back at Cardinal Fulton Sheen, he said in the future. From Rochester, New York, where uh, I reside. He said, he said, interesting, I was kind of looking back because I've written about automaticity. He said that the world will become automatic and that every spiritual tradition will have to unite to fight it, anyone that believes in the spirit. He said it yeah. in one of the things. And, it's a beautiful image. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's so, also a theme. That's a theme of of Vladimir Solovyov's uh, short, short story, story of the, of the Antichrist. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, great. And, yeah. And, and I'm finding a lot back in the so so the 
uh, what I say to to, uh, to to you, gentlemen, is that uh, your your work is very enriching. You've got a lot of information about what seem to be niche points for some people, but they're they're critical, and you're exploring them and joining them. And uh, I think you've also been uh, open-minded and undogmatic in your presentation, uh, which is very, very important. And it's the sign of, uh, it doesn't mean that we won't be able to get a something which shines true concrete in the end, but in the exploratory phase, it has to be open. And Donella Meadows, who was the kind of one of the key theorists behind the Council of, of Rome and from the other side, if you like, mm. Uh, she identified the key factors in changing society and the ultimate factor, the most important, the number one factor, and this is from their perspective, is going, not only changing the paradigm, but going beyond the paradigm. And that takes a certain type of mind. You have to be disciplined. Disciplined is, is very important. Wherever you get that, whether you're a lawyer or a scientist or whether you study literature or, or whatever way, uh, you need some discipline and you need then to for that to inform the right brain and from that mm. we can we can employ a full spiritual consciousness to, to, to get to an answer so i know from the the topics you're looking at that uh that these are getting very warm <laughs> <laughs> that's the project yeah. Yeah, yeah well that's very 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 flattering james i can't thank you enough for being on Absolutely. uh the regeneration podcast uh how about we have you on another time to talk about plantation of the automatons right i, I hope for the people that were listening to the fairies that we didn't go off on a tangent too much without well, the fairies on the good i think people. it was all it was all great and michael we missed no, you for that time we were running okay. you down a lot michael during that <laughs> oh, time yeah, so please yeah, i'm sure yeah, please don't listen to, yeah I was, all right I was uh, thanks down. james and thanks, thanks everybody for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Thanks, God Michael bless. Yeah. Mike.